I want to invite you to go to Jeremiah chapter 40. Jeremiah chapter 40, and because we are in great need of the Lord's help, let's, let's begin by asking his grace upon our time once more. Father, it's our privilege to open your word, and now we need your help. Help us to see Jesus, send your spirit. Let us know Jesus. And as we know him, he says that we know you. We rejoice in this truth today. Father, we recognize that we need the word greater than even our next meal. And so show us your truth. Sanctify us by the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we open up to this text, I want to remind you about a parable that Jesus taught. It is the parable of the sower. I prefer to call it the parable of the soils because you may recall there are four different soils that Jesus speaks about. Matthew 13 and, and in other places, you recall that there was the uh, type of soil where the sower dropping the seed along the, the path, you know, the the birds came down, they swooped down, and they, they snatched up the seed. You know, there was another kind that was the seed that fell on the, the rocky soil. And as it sort of uh, started to get its root and started to sprout up, the sun came and scorched it. There was another kind of so a soil that where the seed fell on the soil. It was so thorny that the thorns came in and choked out any opportunity for the seed to produce fruit. And then there was the seed that fell on the good soil, and that soil ended up producing 30, 60, 100-fold of the crop. You know that uh, this good soil is the soil that ends up believing unto salvation. The good soil bears fruit. And it proves its salvation. There is the seed on the thorny ground, and that is, as Jesus describes it, the world chokes out any opportunity for the seed. And then there is the seed where the bird snatches it. And he says this is the evil one coming and stealing what may be an opportunity for the gospel. And then there was that one on rocky ground that I think describes the people of Judah in our text for these following few chapters. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 13. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I think our text today parallels the start of what could be the Christian life. Parallels the, the, the start of, of 
the journey of faith with Jesus. And, and as we walk through this today, I hope you're able to make some individual application, but also see the bigger picture of the corporate application. You recall, as we've been walking through Jeremiah in the series, A Righteous Remnant, there were a people after the uh, exile, after people were carried off into exile, there was a people that was left in the city of Jerusalem, the poorest of the poor. They were, we could say, the least of these, humble in the kingdom. And it seems like they would be the ripest people to experience God's favor and blessing in this new start. It's the portion of the remnant that is still in Jerusalem. And when it came down to it, they were faced with a hard decision and their faith was shown to be short-lived. Now, as we talk about the group of the people of God, we must recognize there's always a remnant. But oftentimes, when the group is talked about, it's talked about in terms of how unfaithful the group is, how sinful and idolatrous the group is. But we recognize that there are those among them that have true faith. They are the remnant. We must not forget that as we walk through texts like this. What we have today is in chapter 40 and 41, which is what we're going through today. This is going to be uh, part one, if you will, of three parts that cover 40 to 45. So I've never done anything like this in terms of preaching so much in a three-part series, uh, but that's where we're headed these next few weeks. This first part is going to cover, cover chapters 40 and 41. Part two will be 42, 43. Part three will be 44, 45. I want to give you the setup of the story here. You recall chapter 39 was a brief explanation of how God was sort of uh, dealing out his judgment to various types of people. We see uh, the, the evil king got what was coming to him. Jeremiah, as the faithful prophet, is preserved. There are people who are left behind that God seems to be uh, elevating them. In the society, because they were poor, they had nothing. Yet when Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon took over, they were given land. They were given fields and vineyards and stuff like that. And then there was one, a Gentile by the name of Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, who believed on the Lord and he received salvation. So we go back to chapter 40 and there's almost a restatement of what happens to Jeremiah when he's set free. But there's a little more detail for us here. And Jeremiah chooses, as we know from last time, he chooses to live among the people. He wants to stay there. He wants to finish his ministry. And it seems like God's favor is upon the people. A reputable man is appointed the leader. This leader, though, becomes challenged by some on the inside, and they actually kill him. And then the people are left with, what do we do? How, how are we going to survive here? And at the end of our text for today, they're going to be faced with the decision of whether to stay and trust God and listen to his prophet Jeremiah, or are they going to flee to Egypt for safety? Parallels, I think, in these texts show us the new start that is offered in the knowledge of Christ. Unfortunately, salvation isn't based on a wave of initial joys or emotions, right? Y'all been there? 
You may recall even the times when you didn't truly believe, but you had maybe an emotional experience about God or the Bible and you had a sense of victory. Maybe it was when you actually did believe. And you realize real quick that you can't live the Christian life on a bunch of emotion. You learn quickly that the enemy and the flesh are waiting to lure you back into the ways of what we may say is the old man. You come down from the mountain only to rediscover the brokenness of the world, the human condition, the reality of the fall. And you realize that all these conditions, these circumstances that surround you are a threat to your life, a threat to your future. The theme this morning, and I hope I have my slides in order, Kyle, let's do our best today. I've already heard it a few times this morning. You just do the best with what you got at the time. That's what we got today. Here's our theme today. God grants a new start, providing everything needed to succeed in faith. God grants a new start, providing everything needed to succeed in faith. There's one note that I want to make here as we walk into this. It seems like the people are gaining excitement. We're going to talk about that. But God, I want you to notice, he spoke to this Ethiopian. And then in the immediate verses of chapter 40, he speaks through a Babylonian commander. And for three whole chapters, there is not a single word from God to the people of Judah. So sometimes, folks... We know that God has not left us, but he may withdraw something from us in order to bring about a test for us. I want you to, I want you to see how these people, they were excited about the new start, but they quickly forgot that they were relying or they should have relied upon God. God grants a new start, providing everything needed to succeed in the faith. I want to give you four elements of beginning the journey of faith. And here's what I'm going to do today. Because we're in a three-parter and we can cut it off and restart it anytime we want, um, as long as I guess we get to the end in these three weeks because we're on a schedule, um, we're going to just go until I feel comfortable, okay? And we're going to cut it off when we're ready to cut it off, Kyle. So I feel freedom today. Freedom. So I want to give you four elements of beginning the journey of faith. First element is the foundation for a new start. The foundation for a new start. I want you to join me, Jeremiah 40 and verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go to Ramah. When he took him bound in chains along with the, all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. Hear what he says about hear what, hear all that he says about this. This is a Babylonian, okay? The Lord has brought it about and has done as he said. Because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Now, behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come and I will look after you well. 
But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it is good and right for you to go. If you remain, then return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people, or go wherever you think it is right to go. So the captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present and let him go. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam at Mizpah, and lived with him among the people who were left in the land. The foundation of a new start. We look to Jeremiah right here to establish the foundation. Jeremiah embodies the foundation for this new start. You recall he was given bread daily. He was given bread until that supply ran out. And then God preserved his life through this relationship with the king. And now he is free to continue his ministry. And if you look real close, if you want to compare these passages, 40 to how it's described in 39, there are some people who can't reconcile the two. It seems that either this is speaking of an event that happened just between where he was captured and where he was freed, or there were two occasions where Jeremiah was actually arrested. We don't know. It's not hard to reconcile it, though, and that's not the point of what we're trying to do here today. If anyone in Jerusalem would be a part of this new beginning, the people would have to adopt the posture of Jeremiah. And it was not a popular posture, being subject to human Governments living in the tension between being God's people, yet being a citizen of an earthly kingdom. Y'all know what that's like. Being in Babylon, so to speak, but not of Babylon. Always living with the threat of persecution. It's hanging over your head that these people may destroy us at any given time. And if only the people will walk the way of Jeremiah the way of faithful submission to God, then they would see his continued hand of protection, his hand of provision, and even the hand of strengthening in the midst of exile. I refer you to Jeremiah 29. Build houses, live in them, plant stuff, have kids. Seek the peace of the city is what he says. So this passage... It rehashes some of these details around Jeremiah's release. You recall from last time that rather than taking a way out of the mission, Jeremiah stuck with the mission. He committed himself all the more to the mission to see it through to its end. And also, like last time, his willingness to live among the people reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ becoming flesh living among us. Jesus, like Jeremiah, taught the ways of the kingdom. He embodied the life in his kingdom, and he followed through to the end, making a way for us in his kingdom. Likewise, Jesus is with us on this journey of faith. You see, Jeremiah is there for the benefit of the people. He wants to continue to speak on God's behalf, but as we'll see, they don't really lean on him, and when they do, they don't take his advice. But Jesus 
is with us on the journey of faith. He's with us on this road of sanctification, this road of mission. And just as he lived it perfectly, he walked alongside his followers to the end. He walks alongside his followers to the end. He said it right. Great commission. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's the foundation. If you want to get started in the Christian life, it can't be emotion. It can't be based upon an experience. It must be based upon the person of Jesus. We abide in him. We eat his flesh and drink his blood, John 6, right? He nourishes us along the way. The foundation for a new start must be Jesus Christ. So if you hope to succeed in your faith, your faith must be in him. Don't found your faith upon all the possibilities or whatever the circumstances are because there are going to be circumstances in your Christian life that are conducive to faith and walking in accordance with that faith and there are going to be circumstances that drive you to see just how broken you are. And at every point, you need Jesus. You need him. Build your life on the firm foundation of Christ, the fertile soil of faith in him. But as we recall from the parable of the soils, not all initial positive responses to Jesus end in saving faith and bearing fruit. It's starting in these verses to look good for the people. But they were still overlooking that foundation that was absolutely necessary. The foundation of a new start. Jeremiah embodied it. Secondly, verses 7 to 12, the fruit of a new start. Second element, the fruit of a new start. Here's what it says. When all the captains of the forces in the open country and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, governor in the land, and it committed to him men, women, and children, those of the poorest of the land who had not been taken into exile to Babylon, they went to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, Sariah, the son of Tanhumath, the sons of Ephi, the Netophathite, that's a tough one, Jezaniah, the son of Mekathite, they and their men. Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, swore to them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. As for me, I will dwell at Mizpah to represent you before the Chaldeans, who will come to us. But as for you, gather wine and summer fruits and oil, store them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Judeans who were in Moab and among the, the Ammonites and in Edom and in other lands heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah and had appointed Gedaliah the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, as governor over them, then all the Judeans returned from all the places to which they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to get Eliah at Mizpah. 
and they gathered wine and summer fruits in great abundance. So the seed that was planted sprouted. They enjoyed a season of happiness, of hope. They got a taste of what it was like to live under the shalom of God, the peace of God. And you can imagine, after the siege of the city, there was little hope that this could happen, and yet now they have a leader. Now they have vineyards. Now they have fruit to eat. They have wine to drink. They are celebrating this provision of God. And let's see what God provided. First off, a faithful leader. Oh, man, it's wonderful to have. A faithful leader, verses 9 and 10. Gedaliah, a reputable guy, had a whole family of people that seemed to be supportive of Jeremiah in his ministry. What does he do here? He gives a killer speech. If you were listening to this speech, you would be rallying around Gedaliah in the days ahead, and that's exactly what he did. Here's what Chris Wright describes here. Gedaliah seems to win the trust of both sides, that is, the people and Babylon. Perhaps most surprisingly, of the various remnants of the Judean population left in the land and those scattered to the surrounding countries during the crisis, they rallied to him. Various armed groups submit to him. He makes this speech, which is a model of wisdom aimed at satisfying both sides of the tightrope, if you will. He insists that he is the one of them in relation to the Babylonians, not a Babylonian imposed on them. That was important for them. Hey, we don't want to just have a mouthpiece from the Babylonians as our leader. We want one of us. He urges them to return to productive farming in the land, which is met with the kind of success that spoke of God's gracious blessings. They had a faithful leader, the fruit of a new start, a faithful leader. There was a restored people, verses 11 and 12, from Moab, from among the Ammonites, from Edom, from all the other lands. They returned, and it was like a big family reunion with a big feast in Jerusalem. Y'all know my family has a family reunion, and every time we go, I am reminded while I'm there, I'm reminded of just this wonderful heritage of faith. That the gospel in my big extended family, when we get together, maybe 100, 120 people, we spend uh, two days, two nights together. And I'm reminded while I'm there of all that God has blessed us with as a family. And I get this renewed sense of vision about family and the way forward. Can you imagine what that must have been like for them? We thought all this was gone, but now we have it again. We have this leader and man, he looks strong. We have one another. These folks that have come from being scattered refugees among the areas surrounding their back. We're eating together. They got this faithful leader. They got a restored people. And then they have a good harvest. Right there at the end of verse 12, there's wine, the summer fruit in abundance. All of this seems to be a provision of God for a bright future full of hope. And isn't that what Jeremiah prophesied anyway? What's one of our favorite verses? God's plan to give us hope and a future. And like the, like the soil 
that receives the word with great joy, would they be able to endure the afflictions and tribulations ahead? And I would ask you that question. Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ going to endure the scorching sun? Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ going to endure the thorns? You and I both know we have observed a lot of people who made bold professions of faith and then we watched them fall away. Maybe they saw some of these things. A shepherd, a people, the fruit of all these things. But you know, it's kind of like the people in Hebrews chapter 6, they tasted of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, they ended up walking away. In this case, and unfortunately, all of these things are short-lived. And you have to ask the question at this point, where was Jeremiah? Where was the word of God? I think there may be many within the Christian faith even that cling to the tangible human factors and ignore the foundation of Christ. We start believing that we found the magic formula for the Christian life or the church, that this is how it's supposed to be in our minds. You've always heard the, the, the concept. You find the perfect church, then you join it, you realize, hey, I'm part of the problem. <laughs> it won't be the perfect church anymore. A lot of times we, we look, we see... That over there, that leader, those people, that fruit. And we say, oh, i got to have that. But not what God has given me. But we find the leader that says the right things. We see numbers grow. We can even point to the harvest. Yet we forget who actually does the growing. We plant, we water, as Paul said to the Corinthians, but God provides the growth. But you know what? When God is neglected, we are vulnerable. Vulnerable not only to outside attacks, but attacks from within. And we need to be ready to fight. And so right here, I want you to get both the corporate. If you want a, a, an image, wolves, sheep's clothing, but also individual the reality that you, being redeemed in Christ, even you live in this body of flesh, as Paul says, this body of death. And you've got to be ready to fight. That brings us to the third point, the fight. The fight of a new start. This is our third element. I'm saying these things because this is every person that gets started in the Christian life, either real or falsely, there is a fight. Chapter 40, verse 13. I'm going to read all the way through 41, 15. So this is a big stretch. 
Now Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces in the open country came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, said to him, Do you know that Balas, the king of the Amorites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to take your life? But Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, would not believe them. And Johanan, son of Kareah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Please let me go and strike down Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. And no one will know it. Why should he take your life so that all the Judeans who are gathered about you would be scattered and the remnant of Judah would perish? But Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, said to Johanan, son of Kareah, You shall not do this thing, for you are speaking falsely of Ishmael. In the seventh month, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, son of Elishamah, of the royal family, one of the chief officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam at Mizpah, and they ate bread together there at Mizpah. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and ten men with him rose up and struck down Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, with the sword, and killed him, whom the king of Babylon had appointed governor in the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Judeans who were with Gedaliah at Mizpah and the Chaldean soldiers who happened to be there. Get this, verse 4. On the day after the murder of Gedaliah, before anyone knew of it, 80 men arrived from Shechem and Shiloh and Samaria with their beards shaved and their clothes torn and their bodies gashed, bringing grain offerings and incense to present at the temple of the Lord. And this would have been a temporary temple. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah came out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he came. And as he met them, he said to them, Come in to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. When they came into the city, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the men with him slaughtered them and cast them into a cistern. But there were ten men among them who said to Ishmael, Do not put us to death, for we have stores of wheat, barley, oil, honey hidden in the fields. So he refrained and did not put them to death with their companions. Now the cistern in which Ishmael had thrown the bodies of the men whom he had struck down along with Gedaliah was the large cistern that King Asa had made for the defense against Basha, king of Israel. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael took captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters, all the people who were left at Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, took them captive and set them out to cross, set out to cross to the Ammonites. But when Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces with them heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, they took all their men and went to fight against Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. They came to him at the great pool that is in Gibeon. And when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all the leaders of the forces with him, they rejoiced. So all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan, the son of Kareah. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. I hope you're able to follow the story here. There is an attack happening from within against the leader that had been appointed. And at this point, we see where the rubber hits the road in terms of our Christian life, individual and corporate. Drawing from these texts, I will tell you uh, three things, three encouragements. First off, pay attention 
to the old man. Pay attention to the old man. And I want to be clear here. When we say old man, we are talking about the flesh. That pre-salvation person that's bent on sin, that has a taste for sin, that is driving their actions, driving your actions. Pay attention to the old man. In this case, Ishmael. Ishmael was disgusted to see someone not in the royal line appointed to govern, govern the people who remained. He likely saw Gedaliah as a traitor of sorts, and he was angry enough to kill the blood of his own people. However, as one commentator said, Gedaliah could not be brought to believe that Ishmael's intentions were against him. I hope you see it. When you don't pay attention to the old man, the old man is going to cause you to fall. And not just that. The old man may be the reason that you are completely destroyed and you are laying in a pile of bodies, spiritually speaking, in a cistern. It's that old sinful flesh that wants to rise up and take you down. At this point, we have to realize the depth of evil that is found in fallen human nature. Those who are in Christ, they live with this constant battle against the flesh. Two natures opposed. So I'll point you to Romans 7, 18 through 20. This is what Paul says. He, he, he realizes this. He's trying to get us to realize it. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now. If I, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul here the greatest missionary of all time is helping us see the insight into living with this clashing. I have the spirit of God. I have the presence of Christ. And yet I'm still battling this old nature. Y'all know what it's like. And if you don't pay attention to that old man, then that old man will subtly come in and take over. What happens if you're not dependent on the spirit? You're going to be dependent on the flesh. As Paul says to the Galatians, chapter 5 and 6, he says, these two are opposed to one another so that you do not do the things you want to do. Pay attention to the old man. Secondly, be prepared. Be prepared for the old man. We see this deception happening. You notice, as I mentioned from verse 4, these these folks, they're, they're just coming in unsuspecting. Hey, we just want to worship God. We're trying to get to where we can make our, our offerings. We want to worship God. At this, this place of worship, as you know, the temple is destroyed. Trying to keep up with their obligations. One writer says that these unsuspecting victims were simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. How many of y'all know, like, there was that time when you fell deep into sin, and you could probably boil it down to that phrase right there. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
Not to say it wasn't your fault or that you weren't to blame in some way, but man, it was just, it took me down. I wasn't even prepared for it at all. I had no idea it was coming. This was these men right here. When you are unprepared for the battle, with the old ways and the schemes that are tailored by the enemy to trip you up, you'll become prey to your own sinful ways. We must be prepared for the battle. I'll again point you to Romans 6, verses 12 through 14. Here's what Paul says just a chapter before what we just read. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. So we see, we see what's happening within ourselves, this sinful nature. It brings us to the place of surrendering literally the members of our bodies, the eyes and ears that are on us, our thoughts, our hands and feet will be shaped towards sin if we do not actively prepare by surrendering, our, surrendering ourselves to God. And maybe we can turn to the outside attacks. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I think this is where we're going to stop, okay? Stand against the schemes of the devil. What does he say? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the word. And we list these things and we've talked kids these things and we start to think that hey there's there's a list of things that God has given me to put on and I got to equip myself for the battle I got to be prepared for the battle the battle that is not against anything that we see but it's a spiritual battle and all the while we're thinking that we're the ones that just have to uh, shod ourselves and and get ourselves dressed in these things, but I would tell you today, as we are considering this old man, and as we'll pick it back up when we get back together, I will tell you that the armor of God is Jesus Christ. When it comes down to it, folks, and so many of us live our lives in this way, even when we hear it taught and we read it and we process it and we pray it, we live our lives as though the fight against the old man is us simply picking up a bunch of tools that God has given. And we praise God for the tools. But what he has given, greater than tools, is the Lord Jesus himself. Ephesians 6 is talking about the armor of God, and Isaiah is the one who actually tells us that the armor of God is found upon the one warrior that is able to overtake every enemy. And he speaks, Isaiah 
speaks of Jesus. So maybe our application as we close, as we consider a response, maybe you are willing to recognize that whenever or wherever you supposedly started the Christian life, it was not real. Maybe, maybe you're a believer in the Lord Jesus. And today you would say, man, all this time I think I've been trying to use my flesh to kill my flesh. And that won't work. You know your best efforts are filthy rags before God. If you began by faith, how are you going to be perfected by your works? If you began by faith, how will you experience victory apart from faith in Jesus? Maybe these are the ways that we can respond this morning as we consider these elements of a new start. It is the foundation which is Jesus. It is the fruit and it is the fight. We must be prepared to engage in this fight. Let's pray and respond. Father, we are delighted.